Hear me? Can you hear me? Now we're good. I'm going to move this table. My name is Caitlin Snyder. I am obviously not Chris Marlin. And I know that you were all expecting to see him this morning. He was expecting to be here. Give me a second. He was expecting to be here. But I am here for a very exciting reason. Chris and Catherine, are you ready for it? Became parents on Friday. Yay. There's a picture. Esther Grace Marlin shares a birthday with her sweet mama. Um, she was born two weeks early. Chris was going to unveil his paternity leave plan to you today. But Esther, uh, whose name stems from the book of Esther, chapter 4, verse 14, for such a time as this, decided that she was also going to be on her own timeline. So you get me to share a little bit about Chris's paternity leave and then also teach you from the Bible. So over the next four to six weeks, you'll see Chris preaching once. Um, he'll preach in June. Other than that, we have some great internal and external speakers who are going to continue to lead us through this wholehearted series. So you don't have to worry. We're not taking a break. Um, he'll likely even be here next week in the downstairs in the family room because he loves church um, and he loves us so much. Uh, but we are asking as a staff team and also as volunteer leaders, uh, number one, please email Chris with anything that you need instead of texting him. Um, we really, really want to give him some time to enjoy Esther and enjoy Catherine in this season. It's a long-awaited baby. Um, and let them live in those newborn years. We have an excellent staff team here. Individually, we probably cannot answer all of your questions, but collectively, we should be able to. And so if there's anything that any of us can do for you to kind of keep Chris on paternity leave, that would be awesome. And so that's Megan Baird. She runs Kids City. I'm Caitlin Snyder. I'm our Connections Director. You've got Mandy Oliai, who's in charge of our house groups, and then Jalen, who you saw this morning, who's in charge of worship arts. And Chris is going to be very present with us, um, continuing to lead. There will be no big decisions that are made. Nothing will, you know, we're not cutting him out of anything. He'll still be in staff meetings. But we really just want to let him rest and let him enjoy Esther. So we also, in addition to having a great staff team, we have tremendous volunteers. We have, um, and two of them, have been serving here since the very beginning, working on coffee, serving coffee, and then also serving our greeting team. And Allie Mangus and Stephanie Flynn, we actually have small little gifts for you if you want to come up and get them. Um, they're both rolling off of their leadership posts, I guess. Um, Allie served in greeting and Steph has made coffee faithfully for the last 18 months. And we believe here at City Church, just like here, why don't you go ahead and give them a round of applause. There is no part of Sunday morning that they have not touched. Um, and so we believe the Bible tells us to give honor to whom honor is due. And so there's, you know, just a small token of appreciation for two women who have served faithfully given time, money, and energy to make Sunday mornings run. So we're just so grateful for them. 
we're going to switch gears and pick up in our series. So Chris um, heard from the Lord uh, for us, and like Jalen mentioned, we are on this seven-month journey together called Wholehearted. Um, And the concept is this. What would your life look like if you knew Jesus more, experienced Jesus more, and loved Jesus more? We know that that comes with obstacles, and it comes at a cost. And we also know that hard things are better done together. I have a really good friend in Indianapolis, and she and I trained for several half marathons together. And there was nothing better in that long run on a Saturday morning where there was no shade and it was super hot. We would look at each other and be like, we can do hard things. Um, And so we cannot do those things alone. They're better done together. There's an old adage, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, take your friends. That in this journey of pressing into who Jesus is and who he's called us to, into greater discipleship to the most beautiful man to ever live, that we would do that collectively, that we would do that together. So we're starting with family. We're starting with both nuclear family, but then also a faith family, a congregation. And so last week, Chris talked about what it looks like. Robin Dunbar is a sociologist, and he teaches us about these different circles of friendship, that you have your close friends, you have your best friends, about 15 people, that you can have good friends of about 50, and that you can have friends of up to 150. And so we're moving from this small to this large So this morning, we're going to focus in on what it's like to live in community of about 150-ish. Your friends, your congregation, your village, your tribe, whatever word you want to use, that's where we're landing today. And there's a lot that can be said both sociologically and theologically and, you know, your own life experience of what it looks like to live in that sort of community. But today, we are going to focus in on what Paul and what God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says about living in a community of about 150, in a congregation, in a faith family. And so I am going to open my Bible to Colossians 3, chapter, uh, starting in verse 12. It's going to take me a second. Um, let me pray for us really quick. Father God, we love you. We're thankful for you and just thankful that we get together. We don't take that for granted, Lord. That even our showing up this morning is an act of worship. That this is a practice of vulnerability to be in a room full of people, God. And so we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak through me? Would my words bring honor to you, Jesus? We just pray, God, um, yeah, for the Holy Spirit to be thick in this room, thicker than the humidity. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. So we are meeting Paul. Um, Paul is the writer of the book of Colossians. He and Timothy wrote this letter, uh, likely from a Roman prison in about 60 AD. If you wanted to see where that lines up, it's about Acts 28, one of Paul's more faithful or faith-filled, joyful letters. And um, what's his name? I always forget how to say it. Uh, Epaphras started the church of Colossae. And then he goes and he visits Paul. 
And he tells Paul about what's going on at the church with the Colossians. And then Paul, as a response, writes this letter to that same congregation. He corrects some doctrine. He encourages them. He elevates who Jesus is. And the book of Colossians is both an individual call to be united to Christ and a corporate call to a group of Christians, much like us, but over 2,000 years ago, to live together, to be in community with one another. And so as we start in Colossians 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 12, it starts with an, a word. It starts with the word, therefore. And if you've studied the Bible at all, most people use this cute little phrase. You've probably heard it. What's the therefore? Therefore. Well, I'm glad you asked me. Uh, therefore, in Colossians 3, draws our perspective upward to the verses that precede it. And so what Paul has just gotten done telling the Colossians is this. You have a new identity that's more important than any of your other identities. You are no longer Greek or Jew or slave or free, a sister, a brother, a father, a mother. The most important thing about you is this. You are united to Christ. And that's the same call for us today. It doesn't matter where you came from. Does it matter what you do for a living? The most important thing about you is that you belong to God. Amen? So when we pick up these verses, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, this is what's true. Holy, you've been set apart by God because you belong to Jesus, and you are dearly loved by God, and you are a chosen people by God. Clothe yourselves with, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Before I go out and I meet friends, I usually send this text message. Hey, what are you wearing tonight? I can't be the only one that asks that question. Um, because I know that what I put on the outside of my body says something about how I want to show up in a room says something about living into expectations of who I am and how I'm supposed to behave. And so that's what Paul is telling the Colossians. Because you are united to God, you are supposed to show up in a certain way. And instead of putting on a tank top and shorts and wedges, you are going to put on five things. You're going to put on compassion, which means heartfelt mercy for people who are hurting means you're going to put on kindness, thoughtful, considerate disposition through acts of benevolence, often towards people who don't deserve it. Kindness is not just how I treat my friend. It's about how I treat the person who has hurt me. Humility, an honest assessment of ourselves, a selfless perspective that values others as more important than yourself. Gentleness, a peaceful and unassuming attitude. And patience, not just, oh yeah, you can go in front of me in the bathroom after service, but this, that we would be long-suffering in the face of opposition. That we would be steadfast and we would practice endurance when things get hard. And he goes on to say, bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against one another. 
Val and Jeff did a great job of sharing a little bit and unpacking that for us as it can look in church community. And forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. God is not asking us to do anything that Christ does not set an example for us. If you want to know what compassion looks like, look to Jesus. If you want to know what kindness looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what humility looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what gentleness looks like, look at Jesus. And if you want to know what patience looks like, you get to look at Jesus. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So we've got kindness, we've got compassion, we've got gentleness, we've got humility, and we've got patience. And at this time, you would not have been able to make clothes and order them on Amazon. I know that's obvious, but someone who is putting on clothing is familiar with the process by which it would have been made, which would have been one string at a time wound together. And so when we talk about love, binding us together in unity, Paul is saying that love would be the thing that weaves between it all. And this is not romantic love. This is not marriage love. This love is agape love when you look at the Greek. And C.S. Lewis talks about the four loves, and specifically this agape love is the love that is called into action on somebody's behalf. This is a costly love, love that takes itself to the cross. And so it's love, love that lays down their life for another person that binds together all of these qualities. Paul goes on to say, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. There are a couple repeated phrases. There are words. We've got peace, and we've got thanksgiving, and then we've got this word that talks about the message of Christ. These are big concepts. And so peace there is harmony, or also defined as salvation. And so he's saying, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and your members of one body being called to peace and be thankful And the message of Christ. Well, what is the message of Christ? Again, I'm so glad you asked. The message of Christ is this, that God created a perfect world where there was peace. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden lived in harmony with God. But sin came into the world when Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to live their way. They were going to put the needs of themselves above the needs of each other and above what God asked them to do. And the peace that God had in the garden is suddenly broken. Man and woman no longer have peace with God. And as a result, they no longer have peace with one another. But God did not want it to be that way forever. And he saw the ways that his people kept trying to make peace happen together without peace with God. We cannot have peace with one another without being made right with God. We can have supernatural peace. We can have the peace be with you, the 
oh, I can like let you go in front of me at line. I can pick up Starbucks for you. I can have supernatural peace, but the deep and lasting peace that's demonstrated in compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, and humility is only possible because we have peace with God. And so if you find yourself really struggling in a church body, struggling to live at peace with other people, I would challenge you to ask this question of yourself, honestly. Have I been made right with God? Do I have peace with God? And that's one decision you make to follow Jesus, but it's also the decision every day to confess your sins to God, to continue to be at peace with him so that you can be at peace with one another. And that's the message, friends, that we get to respond to today. Do you have peace with God that leads you to be at peace with one another? And that lets us be members of one body, being called to peace and being called to unity. That allows our lives to be woven together like a beautiful tapestry. And that allows us, that lets the message of Christ dwell among us richly as we teach and admonish, which means encourage, one another with all wisdom through the psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Paul goes on to say, I mean, he's saying thankfulness over and over and over again. Thankfulness and gratitude. So you can expect him to talk about that in just one moment. Sneak peek. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, so it spans your whole life, it does not just span what happens in this building, but it spans everything. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That we would, in all that we do, pursue thanksgiving. Christine Pohl is a fantastic theologian. She wrote a tremendous book. If you're wanting to do like the 100 level of living in community with each other, highly recommend Find Your People by Jenny Allen. If you want to dive a little bit deeper into what it actually looks like to live in a faith family, I really, really encourage Living Into Community by Christine Pohl. She says, gratitude and ingratitude are closely linked to what we notice. And once we start focusing on flaws in a community, they quickly dominate our attention. Amen. There are always things about a community or a congregation that will disappoint us. And because our expectations for the church are high, disappointment and frustration can run very deep. But God asks us to be thankful for each other to not take for granted that we get to be united as one body before Christ. He invites us into doing life with one another in a really precious and honoring way. And he's saying that giving thanks to God is how we practice wholehearted devotion to God. That when we're thankful for the day in and day out opportunity to be with one another, We are thankful. We are a thankful people. So what does this look like for City Church? Another great question. Um, It looks like we are showing up and being patient with one another. 
raise your hand, and you're going to keep your hand up as I give these kind of applications. Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by your family. Keep them up. Raise your hand if you know somebody who's been hurt by their family. Raise your hand if you know somebody who's been, who's, if you've been hurt by the church. Raise your hand if you know somebody who's been hurt by the church. None of us are immune from being hurt. Oh, you can put your hands down. In the context of community and family. And what God is asking of us is this. That we would be long-suffering in that. I am not talking about here spiritual abuse. If that's something that you've experienced, I'm sorry, and so is Jesus. But what God is asking of us is that when things are hard, we would keep showing up. When it's difficult to lower your, your wall, would you lower it just a little? Would you say, no, this week has not been easy? I'd love to share more with you some other time because I can't handle it today. <laughs> You're allowed to say that. You have my permission. Would you just show up? Because showing up is your worship, no matter how you feel. Would you press in? Would you care about the new person? Um, at Chick-fil-A, where I worked four years, and Michelle, you can make sure that I'm saying this correctly, they have this phrase that they teach you in training, when you walk in the doors, you're supposed to turn right. This is before you clock in, this is before you're like on the clock, and that's from the top to the very bottom. So you are to turn right and make your way through the dining room collecting any trash, they don't call it that, can I dispose of this for you, uh, refreshing any beverages, um, and being on the lookout for how to serve others. Because Dan Cathy and Truett Cathy, who founded Chick-fil-A, who they do this themselves, well, they did, one of them died, but um, they know <laughs> that customer service is the name of the game. That, like, they do make really good chicken. But the thing that they're going to be known for is by serving other people. And so I would ask you here at church, as you get to know us, as you continue to be part of this faith family, would you turn right when you go into the family room? Would you go up to someone who you don't know? Would you look for the person that's on the outside? And if you don't know them, but you also don't know if they're new, here's this phrase I love. Hi, my name is Caitlin. I don't think we've met yet. It's as easy as that. You don't have to admit that you probably saw them before um, or that you've been scared to say hello. Um, you just get to go up to them and create here a place where people feel welcome. And it starts with you and it's caring about people who are new or people on the outside. And that's rooted in that compassion and that kindness. Third thing, a culture of invitation. It probably won't happen today since it's raining, but there is a group of people that go to Finley Market after service every single Sunday. Started with a few, and now it's grown, and it's grown and grown and grown and grown, and they are so quick to invite new people in. And that's what makes City Church really special, um, and that's what's going to continue to make us special as we grow, as we live into being that congregation that is inviting towards other people. Because in inviting people along, we're inviting them into our lives the same way that Jesus did, that we would welcome in 
those who are new. Fourth, practice selflessness rooted in that humility. As Chris has shared with us, wholehearted living, wholehearted discipleship is going to cost us something because it costs Jesus something. We can be wholeheartedly discipled to Jesus because he has been wholeheartedly devoted to us. And that means that we have to shift our priorities. It's definitely going to cost, or it might cost you money. It's probably going to cost you time, and it will definitely cost you your priorities. That you will have to decide that being part of the group and what's good for the group is more important to you than what's good for you. And that is so hard in an individualistic society that says, you do you, boo-boo, that we would together decide that we will pursue what is best for us as a whole even when it conflicts with what's best for me as an individual. That I would give sacrificially, that I would invite people into my home sacrificially, even when all I want to do is sit on my patio and read. That I would cook sacrificially, creating leftovers to give to people. And that I would live in such a way, and that you would live in such a way, that says that I care about others. I would put their needs above my own, just as Jesus has done for me. And that we would be thankful people. That gratitude would be what comes from our mouth. And in a real way, not in a fake way, that covers over all the hard. We all have that friend who's like actually going through a hard time and says, oh, you know, everything's great. And you're like, it's really not. And oh, I'm just so thankful that. And it's like, you're not actually thankful for the suffering. And that's okay but that we would know deep in our hearts that we are thankful for what God does, even through the hard stuff. And that we can be thankful enough to tell the truth and to confess when we're not thankful. We all have those moments where we're just like, nope, I'm not there yet. You get to be honest about that. So, I, you can go to the next slide. Um, I, prior to moving here, to Cincinnati. I lived in Indianapolis and was part of a faith family there that was so special. Served in a bunch of different places, but in the last four years, I found my place in kids' ministry in third and fourth grade. Third and fourth graders are smart enough to ask good questions, but young enough to know, like, to think that you're still cool. They are young enough that they have so much energy, especially the little boys bouncing in their bodies, but young enough that they haven't started to smell yet. And they became my very, very favorite. And so we would promote the kids um, to kidsmen into their new classrooms um, in June. And then we would have the best thing our church did, which was kids camp, high energy, high impact camp. And so my sweet friend Henry had just been promoted to my classroom the week before. And I don't know if he like wanted to test my limits. I don't, I don't really know. But during kids camp, which I mostly hung out with the younger girls all day long, Henry did a couple of things. He started a chant called girls, uh, Boo Girl Track, which was the name of my track. And he also, like, he just liked to poke at me. And we would be inside for most of the day, and then we would unite in a camp-wide game at the end. Um, and this particular day that you see up this, on the screen was organized mass chaos. And it was organized mass chaos. 
he decided that instead he threw out the rules of the game and he had one objective. It was this, get Miss Caitlin. No part of my body was immune from the shaving cream that was literally everywhere. I'm sure I like even had shaving cream in my ears. He and his little friends just decided that I was the target of their game. It was fine. I love it. Um, and it was, it was just so fun. Like, I just want to pause and be like, it was blessed. Like, they just came at me, right? Um, and then the next week at, in church, they were like, Miss Caitlin, remember when we got you a shaving cream? And the next week, Miss Caitlin, remember when we got you a shaving cream? It became this thing. And they listened to what I had to say about Jesus because they knew that I cared about them enough to let them get me a shaving cream. And their family, you can switch to the next slide. So a couple months later, the mom, his mom, Serena, invites me over for dinner. And I'm like, great, I don't really know you. You're in your, maybe not even quite in that 150 people. You're an acquaintance at best. But yeah, I'll come over for dinner. And I remember thinking like, oh, Serena and I are going to have time to talk at dinner and get to know each other. No, they have three very loud children. Nine, seven, and three. And all I remember leaving their home that night was like, oh my goodness, I need Advil because that house is so stinking loud. And then COVID hits and I end up um, house sitting for a house right around the corner from them. And she just, it's March, and she's like, you know what? Like, I know you like to run. Henry would love to hang out with you. Why don't you come over a couple afternoons a week after you're done with work, and you guys can hang out outside that time, you know, outside is key. Um, and so I would show up, and we would go running together, and Henry became a better and better runner, and we would play outside, and then I wasn't seeing anybody, and they weren't seeing anybody, and she's like, well, why don't you come inside and have dinner with us? And then after my stint for house sitting ends, and I'm not ready to go back to my home for numerous reasons, lots of roommates being one of them, she goes, Caitlin, why don't you move into our basement? We've hosted missionaries here before, and so we've moved from that 150 to maybe that 50, and then we made this huge jump to the 15, right? Like, I'm literally seeing you without makeup on. I'm seeing you in my pajamas. They have a couch in their kitchen and we would drink tea. The husband would say that we were like gossiping little church ladies in the evening. Um, and then I move out and they help me with moving day. And then I go to place and I keep showing up for them. And then the opportunity to move Cincinnati presents itself and we all cry because it's so, so sad. Um, and they help me on moving day and we all cry big tears because we had become best friends. We had made that jump from people who are fun at church to lifelong friends. People who you can tell the whole truth to. People that are not afraid to tell the whole truth to you. And church family, being part of a congregation, being part of a village, comes with that invitation we like to think that maybe there's that magic chemistry when we meet somebody for the first time that says, I know you're going to be my best friend. And we know, sitting in this room, how rare that is. It's happened to me and maybe it's happened to you, but that's not normally how things happen. They happen more like this, that we would 
accept that invitation to dinner and go, oh my gosh, I don't even know if I liked that very much. And that we would keep being present in each other's lives. And over time, something magic might happen. And that's what happened there. And it has the possibility to happen here. We let love bind together kindness, compassion, gentleness, humility, and patience. Now I'm going to ask all of you to stand up. We are going to read a guided prayer together as the band comes up. I'm going to read a phrase, and then I'm going to have you say something which is going to prove to you you're going to know what denomination I grew up in. Um, it's, I'm going to have you say, Lord, hear our prayer. I grew up Catholic, if you didn't know already. Okay, so the words will be on the screen, but I'm going to read the leader part. And I would just ask you, would you hold your hands out? All of us here have admitted that we've been hurt by family and hurt by church and hurt by friends. And so may this be an invitation to surrender back to God that we can keep showing up for each other. We declare that we were created for community by a communal God. Our stories, our needs, and our desires can be woven together, resembling an intricate tapestry where there's beauty and diversity. We acknowledge that we are only able to love one another because you loved us first. We confess that we have been on the doing and on the receiving end of relational harm. Forgive us of the pain we've caused to others. Meet us in our own wounding like only you can. Your companionship and compassion have and will heal us. We are grateful for the gift of playing, praying, and practicing together. Thank you for empowering us to trust others because you are trustworthy. We know that you have sustained us through seasons of loneliness when Jesus was our truest and sometimes only friend. Give us courage to lower our walls, tell the truth, and pursue the good of others. Enable each member of this body to laugh, listen, and learn from a friend. Lead us as we pursue deeper unity. Weave our lives together as we worship and work in community. May our relationships be our witness to a watching world of a God who created us for relationship out of relationship. Make us look more like Jesus together. Thank you, friends.